welcome to Johnston River of Life. So we are in this sermon series, Soul Food, and um, we've been having Wednesday night small groups. And by the way, if you've missed that, um, we'd love to have you. We're having some good food, and we're sharing together, kind of revisiting some of the topic from Sunday, but we're also talking about it more in small group. And by, to be honest, it's a lot more fun to have discussion rather than me just standing up here talking. So you should come on Wednesday, seriously. Um, it's a lot of fun. And those who've been there, you would say it's a lot of fun, right? Okay, good. Um, it's been a good group. It's been a lot of fun. In fact, if you haven't peeked in this other room over here yet, uh, you should peek in there because we've removed the tarp. We've got it cleaned out to the back. The rest of the mirror is torn off, and those will be going away on tomorrow morning. And so we're, we're making some more steps again. We're excited about that. But we've got extra space in there for the space of the small groups, which we've been filling up, which is great. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about our spiritual formation. We've talked about prayer, and I'm going to reemphasize prayer um, was week number one. And I, honestly, in talking with people, prayer is probably the thing that we struggle with the most. A, making time. B, trying to figure out what to do and just have, you know, sitting in silence for a short amount of time is sometimes difficult. How do I find time to pray or, pray or what does it look like? How do I pray? Um, if you missed that sermon, go back and watch it. And then think about how you can explore and deepen your prayer life. Last week, we talked about virtue, and we, under, we figured out that's kind of a difficult topic. What is virtue? What does it look like? How do we live into it? If, if we identify Jesus as the most virtuous, you know, what are the characteristics that Jesus had, and how do we aspire to grow in more and more virtuous or more and more like Christ? What does that look like? Hopefully, you're taking actions to prioritize those. And if you come to small group on Wednesday, hopefully you've also remembered you were supposed to be making a list about things that you would say are some of your top virtues. This week, however, we're talking about this Holy Spirit empowerment. Living a life where the Holy Spirit is what's moving and breathing in us and that guides our life, that teaches us along the way, that maybe convicts us, that kind of helps us understand and relate more fully to God. In fact, the Holy Spirit has a huge, huge role in the church, a huge role in our lives, because Scripture basically says that Jesus has departed and speaks to us now through the Holy Spirit. How do we embrace that? First of all, let me ask, how many of you have ever attended a charismatic or Pentecostal church? Few, okay, just a few. Is it a little different than, you know, this Methodist kind of thing? Uh-huh, you're all shaking your head, like, how different? Okay, you, you're whispering very, but in the back, if you were in a Pentecostal church, you'd be like, like, hallelujah, amen, way different, right? There's like, like an emotional engagement and sometimes a little louder and a little more, it's like they let everything out, right? Okay. Did you know that the foundation of the charismatic or the Pentecostal church comes from the branch of, of the church, kind of Methodists and kind of Quakers? Because we are heart-warmed kind of people. It's that emotional side of things that we allow the Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to move and guide us, both in worship and in daily life. That's where the foundation of this Spirit-led or charismatic movement comes from. Methodists, we have a part in that. 
and yet we still sit here in our seats going, yep, I'm not, still not going to raise my hands when it's time, when I feel like the Spirit's telling me, no, I'm not going to shout amen from the back because, you know, I'm going to be restrained. Well, just a second, I'm going to talk about a little bit of that. Many of us simply probably feel uninformed because we don't teach a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. It's confusing because, you know, we can visibly see or think we see Jesus in the biblical stories. We understand Jesus as fully human, and so we relate a little bit more to Jesus, but this Holy Spirit thing is mysterious. It's, it's a wonder. It's something we can't quite grasp, and yet Jesus spoke very clearly about the importance of the Holy Spirit, so we need to take it serious, don't we? The truth is, seeking a Spirit-empowered life means that we, in our own lives, in the churches, have to intentionally demystify the Holy Spirit. We have to talk more openly. We have to have conversations, and hopefully like Wednesday in small group, we're going to be able to talk more openly about, you know, what's your concept or what's your experience of the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? And, or maybe what are the things we're afraid of, and how do we take a step in that direction when we really just don't have any clue? Well, let me invite you into a little bit of the story. If I jump you back to 1893, Thomas Kelly was born into a Quaker family, and he describes the activity of the Holy Spirit as he knew it as these three things. He says, I've experienced the Holy Spirit as a light within, as a speaking voice, and as the divine center. So those three things are, are ways that he understood the activity of the Holy Spirit. A light within, a speaking voice, and the divine center. Have you ever experienced that? Have you experienced God or the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life as a, a light or as a speaking voice or as a divine center? And maybe the question is, if you can't identify a moment when you experienced the Holy Spirit in some tangible, very real way that you could put into words, then maybe we should ask is there a barrier? Is there something that I've not worked through? Is there some part of Scripture that I don't understand? Because Jesus promised that we, you and I, each one of us, would be sent this counselor, this Holy Spirit that would teach us what Jesus wants us to be taught. And by the way, I'm, well, I'm going to come back to that. I'll just keep rolling here. George Fox, 1624. He says that we should always sing in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, and praise the Lord day and night in the Spirit. You see, it's only, if you understand the Scripture, it's only in the Spirit that we can do these things rightly. To pray, to sing, to praise the Lord. It's in Christ that we're able to do that in fullness. But we have to invite the Holy Spirit to do that. We have to empower and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us that way. Think about it for just a minute. Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit, and people throughout history have experienced the Holy Spirit in very real, tangible ways. As a paraclete or an advocate or as a teacher or a counselor, as the word of life or the breath that moves within us, as wind and fire, spirit, dove. The Holy Spirit is experienced in so many ways. Maybe we should be honestly asking, how have I, how have you experience the Holy Spirit. And if we don't experience the Holy Spirit in these kinds of ways, especially like the teacher and the counselor, the advocate, maybe we should ask ourselves the question, am I missing something? 
We could also turn to Galatians 6, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You see, as, as someone who is abiding in the Spirit and seeking God in relationship, it promises that we will grow in our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are things that will grow in our life if we're abiding in the Holy Spirit. Or if we go to 1 Corinthians, we'll find these gifts of the Holy Spirit, how God gifts us to do certain things administration, or preaching, or, or teaching, or service, or hospitality, or kindness. How do we experience the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read one verse that comes before our passage today. In, ch- in verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, I still have much more to tell you, but you cannot yet hear it. And then he goes on to say, but when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Think about that for just a moment. I don't know if you've pondered this. Jesus said, I still have much more to tell you. He's he's telling this to the disciples. But you cannot yet bear to hear it. What does it mean that Jesus had more to tell the disciples, but they weren't ready? They were closed off for one reason or another. Maybe they weren't emotionally there. Maybe their culture didn't abide what, they were, what Jesus was going to tell them. Maybe there were some things that were yet to come that wouldn't fit in their context. I don't know, but it does say that there's more to be spoken. What that really says, whether you understand it or not, Not everything God wanted you and I to know or to hear or to be transformed by is even written in Scripture because they hadn't heard it yet. Jesus is basically saying, hey, the Spirit's being sent to each and every person, every one of you, so that the Spirit will teach you what I want to say. Revelation still happens today, here and now. If we will be open to hear it, if, if we don't have this barrier that the disciples had, because Jesus said, you're not yet ready to hear it. Maybe we should ask ourselves, do we have barriers, emotional or relational, or maybe we're not allowing the Spirit to move in our life so we can't hear what God wants to say? Maybe the question is, are we open to the more of the Holy Spirit that God wants to teach us through Jesus? Can we bear it? Are we ready? Are we listening? And are we responsive? Jean-Pierre de Cassade, born in 1675, he says, we're all called from self-abandonment to divine providence. And he uses this term that I absolutely love. He says, there is this sacrament of the present moment that the Holy Spirit moves within us. He sees that every moment, every breath, every second of our life is a sacrament because the Holy Spirit abides in us. He focuses on God's activity in each moment, each breath of our personal lives. Think about that for just a moment. What he's basically saying is each moment is like receiving communion, present with God. Each moment is like having the baptismal waters 
pouring over us that grace and that mercy, that restorativeness of God's holy presence abiding within us. He sees that every single moment that we have is sacramental, holiness in the presence of God. A quote from his book, he says, The soul, light as a feather, fluid as water, innocent as a child, responds to every movement of grace like a floating balloon. See, he believes that we respond to this continuous movement of the Spirit in our lives. His, his um, understanding is so utterly practical, it's down to earth. He takes the moments of our days and simple duties, and he makes them sacramentally significant. What would it be like for you to live a life where you think that every breath, every moment, every bite, every drink, every conversation, every interaction... It, is sacramental. It's filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would that change the way you view life or the way you view, you view an encounter? In my personal experience, let me share this. Um, I encounter that when I feel that Holy Spirit inside me nudge. He just kind of guide me one particular way, maybe a gentle little nudge, saying, putting somebody's name in my mind, saying, make a phone call. Or to get up early, to watch the sunrise, and to just sit in silence for an hour. When I'm meeting with someone and I feel the, the Spirit say, it's time to pray, you need to pray. When I give a gift that I feel the Spirit leads me to give, or to say a word, or to spend some time, each one of those moments is sacramental. Because the Holy Spirit is active. Day-to-day -day life is sacramental if we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide. However, the Holy Spirit through history has not always been seen as a gentle dove. And of course, at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire. And you've, some of you have heard me before teach about... Um, what the Celtic Christianity perspective of the Holy Spirit is. So I'm going to quiz. How many of you remember what's the image that Celtic Christianity has for the Holy Spirit? Oh, man. I am, sometime as a teacher, I'm going to have to bring a quiz to church with some of these random questions. Somebody should remember that. You're going to know it as soon as I say it. It is a bird, but it's not the dove. The do it's, no, it's a little different. Close. Close. I made mine even more different for that reason. No, it's a wild goose. See, I knew some of you'd remember. Everybody remember? Yeah, now I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild goose. Their understanding of the Holy Spirit was because, remember, the Celtic church grew up kind of removed from the Catholic church, so they didn't have the impression teaching them, oh, it's the Holy Spirit's a dove. No, they, they said, as they were reading, as they were understanding, as they were being taught, it's like, oh, I see this bird in, in the wild, and this is what I relate to. The Holy Spirit's like a wild goose. Why? Because they're a little aggressive, yes. Because they're protective, yes. Because they're wild and sometimes fly, in different, but yet they also fly in a pattern that's together, and it seems like there's some kind of bringing togetherness. 
They understood the Holy Spirit is a wild goose that steers us in paths that we would not expect to take. How many of you have walked a path and have a goose in front of you and, and you end up diverting your path just a little bit because the goose is going, uh-huh, or hiss, right? Let me give you a couple examples of my life. I believe I encountered the Holy Spirit as a wild goose when um, I was out in Colorado and I had a good job and good pay and good opportunities for advancement. And then the Holy Spirit said, go become a youth pastor with your family, move, pick up everything, brand new child, and just go try something new. I remember I even went in and spoke to my pastor at the time, said, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me that I should become a youth pastor. And I remember, I remember that conversation really well. The pastor said, really? They don't make very much. That's not a good life choice. Are you sure? You know, you're kind of beyond that. I'm, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit said I was supposed to. So even when my pastor said no, it, yeah, I ended up picking up and moving, becoming a youth pastor. Let me give you an even more challenging one. This is, might be even a little bit of confession. In 2000, the year 2000, I w was a youth pastor at this point in time, and I was driving a bus full of kids, youth mission trip, down to Mexico. And um, we, th that is south, by the way, down to Mexico. And we were, you know, 15-passenger van, fully loaded. Denise, you'll appreciate this because mission trips, um, you probably know the story, though. We get down there, and I'm just praying, Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to move. I want these kids to experience something awesome. This, should, this, this is something I want them to remember for the rest of their life. Let them see the Holy Spirit at work. And you know what? We got there. We had a great time. We, we worked for a week. It was a very different mission trip. We lived in tents. We set up tents in a, in a large group of tents, and we would uh, sing and praise in the evening, and we would hear a teaching within our group, and uh, we even had tarantulas. We got to play with the tarantulas out there. Um, and, and then we would go and work with some of the kids in these communities and, and actually go visit the families. And these are families that are living in cardboard boxes in the middle of streets. And we would care for them, and we'd bring them food and supplies, and, and then we'd offer uh, like a vacation Bible school and teach the kids. And it was something that was so uplifting and encouraging. And we got done with the end of that week, and er the kids were just so filled, and, and they'd had so much fun, and they'd experienced the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm saying, thank you, God, that was just awesome. You sent your Holy Spirit, and, and this is just amazing. And I'm driving back. It was, one, it was my shift to drive. And as I'm driving and I'm praising and praising God for, for the wonderful trip, all of a sudden this, like Thomas Kelly said, literal speaking voice said to me, pick up the next hitchhiker. Ryan, I know you don't appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there, I hear this voice, I'm like, what? Heck no. No, no, no. Not responsible. No, I I'm driving a bunch of kids. This is a youth trip. I'm a youth pastor. Um, uh, I can't do that. I'm going to lose my job. No, no, no. You guys are all thinking this thing, right? Same thing as I was thinking. And I'm like, what in the heck? Do th then I realized, okay, God, I can solve this. Lord, hear my prayer. Let there be no more hitchhikers. Let there be no more hitchhikers. And I'm all of a sudden praying, Lord, stop that. I don't want to see anything. And less than two minutes, here's this hitchhiker. And I have myself struggling with responsible or, you know, a, a losing job or all, all kinds of, like, what in the heck do I do with this? And, and, or do I listen to this 
crazy squawking Holy Spirit goose making some kind of noise in my head saying, pick this man up. I picked him up. And immediately started being afraid. What did I do? I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job when I get home. I'm in serious trouble. And making a plan, thinking, okay, I'm being faithful, Lord, but I don't know what this means. And so when we pull over for lunch, I immediately make a phone call to the senior pastor. I said, senior pastor, um, I think I might have done something to get me fired. Can you please make sure that all the parents are there at this time to pick their kids up? Because I just need to be honest with them and tell them what's going on. And um, so he did. He had them there. We took this gentleman all the way up to, to Dallas to drop him off to be with family. And he was 70 years old, or right in that area, walking in the heat of the day, over 100 degrees. We, I think he probably had a week of walking if he was walking on his own. We get home, and the parents sit down, and I just share honestly, I did this. Um, I don't know if you'll, what you'll think about it. I understand whatever consequences come with it. Um, I'm just being honest with you. And then the kids shared. Said this was the most amazing week we've ever had working with the families in Mexico. But every one of them said the most powerful thing that happened was encountering that man on the road. Because they took time while we had him in the vehicle for many hours to talk with him, to visit, to hear his, his life story and what was going on, to pray with him. They took time to, to really care and to see that the Holy Spirit had provided us as an opportunity for him. Many of them actually gave, gave the last little bit of money they had in their pocket to him to care for, especially the circumstance that he was dealing with. They said, this made a difference in my life. I can guarantee you, if you talk to any of those kids today, they would say, they, not only do they remember it, but it changed their understanding of the activity of the Holy Spirit. I sometimes wonder what would have happened if I had chosen responsibility <laughs> or if I had chosen not to risk losing my job rather than listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. What would I have missed? What would those kids have missed? Catherine of Genoa from 1447, she understands, and I think she relates to exactly what I was going through because she says that we're all like children and we all have toys. You know what kids are like with toys? And she's like, we all have our own will. It's, it's like this one toy that we're holding on to. And someone might offer to give you four toys in exchange for that one toy. But you know what a child's going to do? I'm going to hold on to my one toy. That's my toy. And I'm still going to try and take the others without trading. But she says, by doing that, we actually miss what God intends for us. If we hold on to our, our own desires, if we hold on to our own thoughts, our own will even, we miss what God intends for us. She says in her writing, she says, I instead have given the keys of my house to love or to God with permission to do all that is necessary. And she really invites her readers to think about what is it that I'm holding on to so that I'm actually missing the greater gifts that God wants to give me. Our passage, again, it says 
But he, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide us into all truth. He will not speak his own will. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, this is Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Do you understand what that just said? The spirit has an important role in our life to guide, to teach, to convict, to gift, to counsel, to stir, to nudge, to empower. The Holy Spirit literally is the presence of Jesus in our life. Because it says here, it's not the Holy Spirit. He's not saying His own thing. It's not just this separate entity out there. It's literally the, the Spirit is conveying what Jesus wants us to know. It goes back to that verse, verse 12 where it says, I have more to tell you, and yet you're not ready for it because you're not ready for it. But I'm sending the Spirit, and the Spirit will tell you in time, if you'll listen. All of it is direct from Jesus, if we will listen. The truth is, the Spirit may be confusing, the Spirit may be something we don't talk about enough or understand enough, and yet literally the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us is the presence of Christ. The light within, as Thomas Kelly says, the speaking voice or a divine center. And the question might, not, might be, if we don't hear or see or understand that, what is it we're missing? How do we go about inviting more of the Holy Spirit and more clarity? How do we go about giving up those personal toys or preferences so that we can actually receive what God wants to give us? to listen to the little nudges or maybe even the major squawks in our life. This week, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. Think about each moment as a sacramental moment with the Holy Spirit abiding within you. Each word that you speak and every conversation you have, every bite that you eat, rising from bed and going to sleep at night sacramentally. I invite you to maybe think over Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, or think over 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, or if you're really brave, commit a whole hour. Anybody have an hour to commit? Well, you do, you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> we all have an hour even if it's a little less sleep or even if it's turning off, you know, those basketball games or whatever else you're filling your time with, just to invite the Holy Spirit. Part of this series is about how do we grow spiritually? And this is one of those things. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come and fall upon us. Anoint us and allow us to to know your presence and your power. Lord, help us to surrender our lives, to surrender the toys that we hold on to, and instead to honor you with all that we are, that we might understand each breath is a sacramental gift. We pray it in your name. Amen.